This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. You're listening to the Mornings with Simi podcast. And on today's episode, will the support from the government for post-secondary students be enough for recent grads? What will shopping look like as retail stores begin to restock their shelves and begin opening their doors to the public? And how does millions of dollars get cut from the city's budget after one in-camera meeting? We'll get the mayor of Vancouver to explain. That and much more coming up on the Mornings with Simi podcast. A lot of businesses out there, a lot of retailers in BC in particular that are kind of cautiously taking those first steps to reopening here in the next few days. And today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to announce that he'll be extending the federal wage subsidy program. Now, our chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joins us from Ottawa with more on this. Good morning, David. Morning, Simi. Yeah, I, and I think the, one of the reasons that the, the feds are doing this is that obviously we want businesses to reopen but to do it safely. And if they're not ready, don't do it, or maybe just some employees. And so to the extent businesses can count on a, the extension of the wage subsidy, there may not be the urgency then to reopen. And so this program was going to end on June the 6th. Remember, this is the program where mm-hmm. employers can get 75% of the wages of their employees covered by the federal government. So that was going to end June the 6th. We're going to hear the PM, I think, today extend that at least into July. Um, and I think that, you know, as I say, that's been an important business support. Although I think the feds thought more businesses would take advantage of it. Right now, they've only paid out, uh, I shouldn't say only, they've paid out about $3.5 billion in wage subsidies. And that has helped 1.6 million workers. But I know when they started this program, they thought it was going to cost $73 billion. And as I say, we're, we're only $3.5 billion in. So I think there's lots more room for this mm. program to continue. Interesting. And today is the first day you can apply for that Canada Emergency Student Benefit. Yes, the SESBI. You, have you got all your acronyms no. down? You got the CERB, <laughs> no, uh, you got the SEBA. This is the SESBI, the Canada Emergency Student Benefit, CESB. And you're right, today's the day you can uh, start applying for that. It's at the government's website, uh, which is uh, Canada.ca. Also, some other, I should mention this too, some other subsidies coming for those who work as researchers in hospital-based research institutes. And these are people who are trying to develop cures for cancer or strokes, important non-COVID-related health research. But for technical reasons, let's say, they've kind of fallen through the cracks in terms of any of these support programs. There's 15,000 across the country, and they were looking at all being laid off within days. And so the PM found out about this earlier in the week. And I think you're going to hear some uh, some program to make sure that those people can continue to do their important work, as they say, on, on other very important health projects. Right. And the Prime Minister also held that weekly kind of teleconference meeting that he has with the premiers. What was the focus of that? Well, uh, they, they touch on a whole bunch of things. Uh, the border is, is one that's coming right up, the Canada-U.S. border. And there really is no appetite uh, to ease the restrictions right now at the border. Certainly Premier Horgan uh, has been pretty uh, firm on that. Premier Ford here in Ontario, uh, Premier Legault in Quebec, uh, there really isn't an appetite to get that border going. And in fact, there's a, a poll out this morning, I think this one's from KPMG, that says 85% of Canadians, 85% do not want the restrictions on the Canada-U.S. border eased until the pandemic is, uh, is way down the slot. So, so some unity there. And, you know, the other thing that I find interesting, Simi, is I guess the Team Canada approach that these premiers and the prime minister, politicians 
from a variety of different partisan backgrounds. I mean, just last year, Justin Trudeau was campaigning against Doug Ford, and in Alberta, Jason Kenney won by campaigning against Trudeau. I mean, they mm-hmm. didn't like each other very much last year, but everybody seems to be very much on a Team Canada, let's all row together, this is a problem we all, all have to so- solve. And so by and large, they come out of these meetings, uh, there isn't a whole lot of uh, squawking, which, uh, hmm. I, you know, again, compared to what we're seeing in the South between presidents and governors, uh, you know, I think that's, that's something that you can't uh, say is not a good thing. No, I think a lot of Canadians actually really like that. That's been the mm-hmm. one benefit yeah, no, that they like about this. Uh, now, David, I also know you have been doing a lot of work when it comes to Canada's food supply chain, taking a look at federal meat inspectors and kind of the struggle to making sure store shelves stay, stay stocked. That's right. So whenever there is some animals being processed, being slaughtered, and that meat is going to cross a, a, a provincial border, a federal meat inspector has to be present from the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. So this would be the poultry plants in the lower mainland or beef plants in Alberta or seafood processing plants up and down the coast. Uh, you need a federal meat inspector. There has been some sickness with some of these inspectors. I think they've had about 40 who, who, uh, who got COVID-19. They work right alongside the, the processing plant uh, people. Um, but there's also been just good old-fashioned staff shortage. Uh, the CFIA, the, the food inspection agencies, had to bring in people uh, who'd been retired. They've been trying to tell non-inspector employees, hey, let's train you up and you're going to be an inspector. And some of those employees saying, I don't want to go in a meat plant. And so now they're being faced with disciplinary action. The union's not happy about that. There's issues about getting them the right kind of protective uh, equipment. And again, this is the inspectors. And if you don't have an inspector in the plant, you can't run the plant. And so processors have been trying to, you know, they're trying to get into overtime shifts. I mean, there's, there's some backlog in terms of processing right now, and they've been having trouble getting uh, some, some staffing levels for these inspectors. So that's it, just one, it's an important part of the food chain, may seem a small one, but it's a really critical one to make sure our food supply is safe. And again, without these inspectors, plants, plants just can't run. So true. David, thank you. Okay, thanks, Amy. Cheers. Thanks for the update. That's David Aiken, our Global News Chief Political Correspondent. This is Mornings with Simi. A few weeks ago, we launched the Canada Emergency Student Benefit as part of our $9 billion plan to help young people get through the next few months. And today, I can confirm that students and recent graduates will be able to apply for this benefit starting Friday. All right, that was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau just a few days ago announcing uh, the formal start of support for post-secondary students and recent graduates. So how much of a difference is this going to make? We're joined now by Tanisha Klassen with the BC Federation of Students to talk about some of the challenges they are perhaps anticipating. Tanisha, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So how important do you think this is today that students can start applying for this? I think it is is definitely something that is good for the students that fell through the cracks of the CERB, but uh, in our opinion, that the CESB does not go far enough. Um, it is a new program with its own set of bureaucracy, and it's also giving students far less money than everybody else that is applying for the CERB. So you think it's not enough? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been calling on the federal government to make the CERB more universally acceptable, try and fill fill in those gaps. Uh, but instead, they they have created a new system, which apparently thinks that students don't have the same bills as everybody else to pay. There's uh, a lot of students that don't get help from their parents, and they still have to pay rent, their cell phone bill, 
they're they're the ones being laid off as well. So um, it's a pretty confusing uh, situation. Right. So just so people know, the, so the student benefit gives you $1,250 a month for four months versus the emergency response benefit, which gives $2,000 a month. Yes, exactly. And with uh, some new amendments that came with the CESB, students are also now required to prove that they're looking for work. So it's also baffling that everybody else is being told to stay home, not go to work if you, if you don't have to. But Students are the only group that is being told, you should find a job. Right. So do you think there's going to be a lot of take up of this? Like how many people do you think did fall through the cracks on this one? You know, I'm not quite sure on the on the numbers. I, I hope the students that need it are able to apply for it and get it. But I think the take up is going to be lower than than people expect because, you know, there are students that perhaps have a disability that restricts them from trying to find work or students who are immunocompromised and aren't able to look for work and also the fact that there aren't a lot of jobs right now for students to try to be looking for. Right. And how are students feeling about this whole situation, Tanisha? Because even, you know, this is around the time when you're thinking about what courses you're going to take next year. You kind of start planning for, you know, going back in September. How are students feeling about that? Yeah, I think people are definitely nervous. I mean, the the really sudden switch to online that happened in March was really jarring for a lot of people and I think put a lot of people off. So I think there's a lot of apprehension of people that, you know, maybe aren't taking classes in the summer and are going to go back in the fall because, you know, we're not sure how how it's going to look exactly. Now, how how would you rate the schools and their level of communication with their students? You know, I think everybody is doing their best. Um, The fact that professors had a weekend, essentially, to move their classes online, um, some classes that have never been online before, you know, that is, that's pretty impressive. I think everybody's working this summer to try and make their responses um, a bit more clear, make sure that everybody feels prepared for for September. So I definitely think things are, are going to be better, but there have been some stumbling blocks along the way. Right. So when you talk to other students, then are they, have they been like waiting to apply for this benefit? Some of them definitely. Um, a lot of students were still eligible for the CERB. And, you know, we encourage students to apply for that one if they are, if they are eligible for it because they're going to get more support. Um, but especially for those students like grad students, for example, that have been uh, using scholarship money or students that typically work in the summer, those students are the ones that are going to really need this benefit. Right. What about the student loan help? Has that been helpful at all? So I think in the grand scheme of things, the student loan help and the and the increases to the Canada Grants Program and things like that, those are all going to be really helpful come the fall. <laughs> They're right. not really things that are going to help people pay their rent uh, right now or, or buy groceries. So they're absolutely things that we are very happy to see, but it's not going to come into play until until September, unfortunately. Right now, so it sounds like what you're saying is right now, students want to be treated like workers out there, not necessarily like students. Exactly. It doesn't make sense why students are, are somehow deemed second-class citizens in this scenario when, you know, students are, there are students who are parents, there are students who are adults, they're not just 20-year-olds that live live with their parents. So I think people are seeing students as this very um, right. homogenous kind of group when students are, are everybody. All right. Well, Tanisha, thanks very much for this.
Yeah, thank you. That's Tanisha Klassen, chair of the BC Federation of Students, talking about the new student emergency benefit, which is available as of today. So it's a, I checked out the website and it's a, it's a similar situation to what you have with the CERB is that you go online, you figure out if you're eligible, what day you should be applying, and it kind of walks you through the whole process there. But as Tanisha pointed out, it is $1,250 a month for a student. Uh, as opposed to the $2,000 a month that they would get if they were on the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. But as also mentioned, there's other measures for students in there too, as in student loan relief, uh, more grants are available. So we'll see. There's still this whole question about uh, what are post-secondary institutions going to do come September? Are they just going to welcome all these kids back to campus? Will it be online classes? There are still so many questions uh, for those post-secondary students out there. If you want to weigh in, send me at CKN. This is Mornings with Simi. Right now, let's talk about this story. If you live in and around the vicinity of uh, Vancouver City Hall, you're going to be treated to a sound that you haven't really heard very often in this city, and that is the call to prayer. Vancouver's oldest mosque, which is Al-Masid Haldjamia, which is at West 8th Avenue, is going to broadcast the call to prayer for the first time in the history of that mosque. It will be heard each evening at sunset for the remainder of Ramadan, which is until May the 23rd. So our Nikki Reitmeyer had a chance to speak to one of the trustees of the mosque, Haroon Khan, about the significance of this nightly event. Yours is the oldest mosque in Vancouver too, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. It was founded uh, back in 1963. So back then there was a very small population of families around that time, and it's grown exponentially since, but uh, this has been a, a very uh, special place. Um, it's, it's older than me, so I've, I've been going there since I was a baby. I, I literally crawled in there. It's a very, uh, very special to, for, for a lot of precincts and for a lot of people. You know, though, for the oldest mosque in Vancouver to have been built in just 1963, I mean, that's really not that long ago. It's incredible how over such a short period of time, the Muslim community has grown in Metro Vancouver through British Columbia even. Certainly has, yeah. yeah. We have many, many mosques all over uh, the lower mainland, uh, quite a few in Surrey, Victoria, surrounding areas in the interior. Uh, so that's growing. There are a few more mosques in Vancouver as well. But uh, as they say, this is the original. We call it the little mosque in the city. And now for uh, the first time in your mosque's history, you're now broadcasting the Adan, the call to prayer, each evening at sunset. When did that start? It started uh, uh, on the 7th, almost a week ago. We, we, we started uh, just really low-key. We were working with the city and, and bylaw to make sure that we got all of our ducks in a row logistics-wise, decibel-level-wise, and to ensure that it's done in, in a proper and controlled manner. And also, we are maintaining uh, all of the safety uh, and health measures uh, due to the whole COVID-19 situation. Typically, during during Ramadan, our, our mosque is packed. We have hundreds and hundreds of people. We serve hundreds of meals uh, every evening for the opening of the fast. Unfortunately, um, much like every church, synagogue, temple, you name it, we're, we've been forced to curtail that. For the most part, we are closed for those congregational prayers. And uh, that's a very uh, difficult situation for us, as this month is one of the most important months uh, for our community. And to not be able to uh, to gather there, this has been a tough blow for us. Uh, working with the city, 
who has joined cities uh, all around the world in this movement of allowing this call to prayer. It's not something that we're forcing on anybody. It's something that uh, was given as a, a gesture of, of respect and appreciation of our community. We're not encouraging people to come to the mosque to offer their prayers there. We're actually um, encouraging them to pray at home. But uh, for those that can hear that broadcast, we're able to get the uh, get the word out and people can hear this really rather beautiful call to prayer at the sunset time. The duration is about five minutes, and hear it echo through the streets is uh, it's quite beautiful. And in a similar way, a different way, but a similar way, it reminded me of the banging of the pots and pans at seven o'clock each evening for the frontline healthcare workers. It's a way that we can come together through a sensory experience. So we may be apart right now, but we all share in this sensory experience that brings us together as a community. Exactly. Yeah, so true. And when when you have people come together in this way, even though it's somewhat virtual, there is that sense of community. And we hope that you know, the bells will be ringing in churches and all of our public places. We really appreciate everyone's uh, support and, and well wishes. And uh, I know that in some places, some people think ill of this and we just want people to know that's not the case. It's it's really a, it's a gesture of, of solidarity for all humankind. And when we do pray, we pray for everybody. We, you know, this is affecting the whole world, and uh, there's a lot of tragedy that has occurred. We are praying for this to, to go away. Make a special prayer to all those first responders, all the doctors and the nurses and the frontline people uh, who are you know, yeah, keeping us healthy and safe and, uh, and all the people that are, that are out of work, that have difficulty. You know, we pray that, uh, that their burden is eased too. All right, that's our Nikki Reitmeyer speaking with Trustee Haroon Khan of the mosque in, uh, on West 8th there in Vancouver. That's the Al-Masid Halyamya Mosque. Uh, that is the oldest in Vancouver. And you're going to hear something that you haven't heard before if you're in the vicinity of that mosque uh, for the next few evenings. You'll actually be hearing the call to prayer, which they're going to be doing every evening at sunset for the remainder of Ramadan running until May the 23rd. This is Mornings with Simi. Little treat for you up in the skies on this May long weekend. You might just see the Canadian Forces snowbirds up there. So if the weather cooperates, and right now that's kind of iffy, they are supposed to be flying through BC on Saturday and in particular over Metro Vancouver on Sunday. Now, this spring tour that they were doing was at risk because of COVID-19. So for a while, they kind of halted the training. And we know there's no upcoming air show appearances either. Those were all canceled. So the air shows are not likely to go ahead. But the snowbirds have been able to find a way to safely travel across the country. And they call this tour Operation Inspiration. Our Nikki Reitmeyer had a chance to speak with the Delta-born captain, Ari Mahajan. Considering everything that we're going through right now, it's so fitting that the name of this Snowbirds tour is Operation Inspire. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what we're, we're just trying to achieve what we do best, which is essentially inspire the Canadian public, kids, uh, kind of everyone alike. So this is a great opportunity for us to go around and uh, hopefully inspire, but at the same time, you know, give a thanks to, to all the Canadians doing their part uh, during, this, during this pandemic. What's the reaction that you get from people after they've seen your plane fly overhead? 
Uh, it's been mostly positive so far. It's actually, it's, it's really cool. You know, we get to see some of the people uh, out at the airports, outside the fences, you know, making sure that uh, we're still uh, physically distancing, distancing ourselves and, you know, following those rules. But uh, having a chat with them, kids and stuff, uh, they find it really cool, waiting a really good response and uh, just happy that we can bring some sort of positiveness and joy into into this crazy world right now. And when you started the tour, you started it in Nova Scotia. What did it mean for you to start the tour there after everything that that province has been through? Absolutely. I think that was uh, very fitting for us to start there. I mean, three big things happened there. Obviously, the pandemic with the, the shooting that went on and then obviously the, uh, the crew that passed away because of the crash. So it was it's kind of near and dear to our hearts, so it was it was very uh, fitting for us to go and start there first. I know personally that flight we did over Nova Scotia was very emotional. Um, it was uh, special in its own way, so I think that was very important to give them a bit of hope and some some sort of positiveness and uh, with things that have been going on for the past uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys continue to spread that goodwill across the country, making your way further out west. Uh, and now you're going to be in BC. When can we expect to see you flying overhead? Yeah, I think we have a fair idea of which uh, cities and towns we want to hit. On the way west, uh, we're talking about like, you know, heading to the island. We're going to, so we're headed to Edmonton, Edmonton to be uh, Fort McMurray uh, with everything that's gone on uh, there for the past couple of weeks. And then once we get to BC, we're going to be hitting uh, places like Revelstoke and uh, Kamloops and then making our way further west to the islands. And then on the way back home, we're going to be hitting uh, the lower mainland and Kelowna. And when you are over Metro Vancouver, what is your general flight path going to be? Well, our primary objective is to hit uh, the major hospitals, essentially, once we're done the island portion of uh, our tour. When we start making our way west, we'll hit the Vancouver General Hospital, uh, the hospital in Burnaby, White Rock, Surrey, basically any hospital that's kind of on our way as long as gas permits. So hoping to hit everything in the lower mainland. In the process, we're probably going to end up overflying uh, my house. So that's that's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> You'll have to look out for mom and dad waving. Yeah, exactly. Um, not exactly, but uh, <laughs> but but it'd definitely be special to uh, to overfly the house because I know they'll be uh, looking out, waving waving at the formation, waving at you, even if you can't see them from that height. Exactly. <laughs> That's our Nikki Reitmeyer speaking with the Delta-born captain Arij Mahajan of the Snowbirds, which are going to be in town. As you heard, there you can see them flying overhead. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, parts of Metro Vancouver on Sunday. They've been doing this right across the country uh, as a kind of a, they call it Operation Inspiration, a way to pick kind of a, pick up people in the community there and show them something to be proud of up there in the sky. So uh, look up if you hear something and go, what the heck is going on? It's the Snowbirds there in town this long weekend. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, the plywood is definitely coming off in quite a few locations as stores get ready to open back up again. We know that Pacific Center, stores like The Bay, uh, Sport Check, all in downtown Vancouver, they're getting ready to open. But what does that actually look like? We know that the public health officers have not required people to wear masks in retail settings. But what are stores going to be doing? How do they enforce social distancing? How do you buy clothes in a store if you're not allowed to? necessarily try them on. Well, to talk about these issues, we're joined now by Terry Smith, who's the Executive Director of the Robson Street Business Improvement Association. Terry, thanks for being back with us. 
Well, thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Are there quite a few stores on Robson Street that are getting ready to open? Uh, there are a handful of stores that are reopening today, including Aritzia, Plenty, Zara, and Roots. Okay. And then there's other sets to go next week as well. All right. So that does seem, they're not wasting any time getting open, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's an interesting thing because they were actually never officially ordered to close. Um, so they were never under the same orders as restaurants and bars. Right, but I guess a lot of them chose to do that anyway yeah. when there were no customers. So, but how, Exactly. How do they get people to come back in now, though, Terry, when it seems like people are quite, I think they're a little apprehensive, right, about what that looks like going back shopping? I agree. I mean, there's quite a wide spectrum of people out there in terms of their comfort levels. And there's people that are, are definitely going to be ready to go back out and, you know, start to you know, get back into a normal, some sort of a new normal, I should say. Um, and then there's others that are, you know, still quite anxious. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I did read uh, a recent article from Brian Hill regarding the reopening of its Aritzia in Winnipeg, and it had quite a, a good response by customers. So I, I do hope that we're going to see some positivity around coming back uh, to our stores and time will tell. Yeah, I guess. Will there be, do you think, any kind of uniformity in terms of what we can expect to see in those stores? Yeah, I think they're, they're all sort of uh, implementing a, a number of new measures in store, limiting the amount of, of people at a time. I don't believe anybody's going to be allowed to be sitting and waiting for their you know, girlfriend or partner while they're, you know, trying on clothes. The number of people allowed in a fitting room is going to change. The the policies around um, returns, I think, will be a bit different. Um, after clothes are tried on, I think there's going to be new um, hygienic and sanitary measures put in place. Masks are going to be optional or mandatory, depending on the store for staff. Um, so there'll, there'll be a lot of a lot of changes coming forward. Right. So in other words, keep that mask handy just in case. One store may require it, another store may not. Uh, I think in terms of staff, so staff having to wear or not. Oh, interesting. Not necessarily okay. the public. Yeah, not necessarily the public. And yeah. I, I don't believe Dr. Henry, Henry has really, you know, pushed the wearing of masks as the, you know, the number one sort of measure to, to stop spread. So... I don't think that messaging is out there. Do you think there's the confidence, Terry, in the public to get back out there and go shopping in stores? Oh, it's hard to say. I, I think it's still too early. I I do believe there are certain people that are ready, but I, I believe there's a lot of people that are not ready also. So it, it's going to be challenging times ahead. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of other issues facing businesses too with the lack of tourism you know, no meetings or conventions or sporting events or concerts and the office sector as well. Coming back downtown is not going to be as robust. So there, there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. How critical then is the next little while going to be? Because, yeah, it's great that stores can reopen, but not so great if there's nobody shopping in them. There is a very, very difficult period lying ahead. And uh, I would even say the balance of this year is is going to be extremely difficult for retailers and businesses. And, you know, I, we're trying to remain positive and, you know, it's great that the doors are reopening and our economy is getting going again. Um, 
but there's going to be a lot of support still needed for businesses moving forward for them to survive this. Okay, so do you see some semblance, though, of Robson Street returning? I'm hopeful. Uh, We do have a lot of, you know, national, international brands that are on the street, and they are, for the most part, in a better position to weather the storm. Um, But, you know, uh, it's it's going to change a lot of things and and you know retail isn't necessarily essential as you know grocery stores and and things like that so you know with people being laid off and not having as much disposable income that's going to impact um people's shopping habits as well and so we we're remaining hopeful but you know this the rest of this year is really going to tell what will happen yeah we'll see we'll be watching carefully terry thank you yes thank you That is Terry Smith, the executive director of the Robson Street Business Improvement Association. You will see some stores open starting today, as a matter of fact. Uh, Now, Terry had mentioned Aritzia. That's an important one because they have opened uh, some of their stores recently. They opened one in Winnipeg. They opened uh, one in Houston, Texas. They said they're going to be opening three more in the Vancouver area over the next three days. That would have started yesterday. So a couple of more open over the next two days or so. Uh, here's what they're going to do, though, according to their CEO, Brian Hill. They're going to allow fewer customers in each store at a time. And they said the figure is going to depend on the size of the store. And they'll have a staff member with a counter who's going to keep track of the people who are entering and leaving. And they'll have other staff members who will actually manage the lines of people who are hoping to get in if they need that. And they said those staff will be likely wearing masks or gloves. And they said they're continually kind of evaluating what kind of personal protective equipment their staff might need. Also, if you want to try something on, here's the thing. Store associates are not going to carry that. This is just Aritzia, mind you. Store associates won't take that item to the fitting room for you. You can do that, uh, but they are not going to take it there for you, and you will be allowed to kind of touch the clothes while you are browsing. So it'll be a different shopping experience, but it does make me wonder, like, are you ready to go back to the mall, or have you been happy with the online shopping? I'm actually not, uh, I haven't been as happy with the online shopping. There's some stuff that you just, I feel like you have to see in person before you buy it, you know, and sometimes for sure for a few things, online shopping is great, but some stuff I just do like to see it in person, touch it, feel it, see it before I actually buy it. So have you been putting off shopping or are you happy with the online version? Do you see yourself going back into a store, a retail store anytime soon? This is Mornings with Simi. Well, what is happening with Vancouver City Council and the Vancouver Police Department? A very rare situation that we saw yesterday when the police chief of the Vancouver Police Department, Adam Palmer, came out and said there was no consultation on a $3.5 million budget cut from the city. We're going to be talking to Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart about that in just a moment. But here's what the police chief told Global News yesterday. Well, it caught me off guard, so it wasn't something I saw coming. There had been some discussion back in April where some letters were exchanged between City Council and the Vancouver Police Board. However, this motion, nobody saw it coming. I was not given a heads up. In fact, I was told there was going to be a discussion and it was nothing really to worry about. And then all of a sudden yesterday afternoon, I find out that the city is cutting our budget. All right, that's the police chief there speaking to Global News. But let's find out what the mayor has to say about this. Joining us now is Kennedy Stewart, the mayor of Vancouver. Thank you for being here this morning. Yeah, good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. So what is your response to what the chief just had to say? 
Well, first, uh, just want to put it in a bit of context. Is uh, when uh, the new council came in in 2018, uh, I'm, and I'm chair of the police board and of uh, council, so it's uh, so I'm very aware of the situations of both bodies. Uh, the police uh, board came to council and said, look, we've had underinvestment here for at least a decade. And so council in the last two budgets has made an unprecedented investment in police, which I think is wise, and that's had a lot more officers hired, and that's been a great thing. Um, so, uh, however, then COVID-19 hit, and we have, uh, you know, for example, laid off 1,800 people in the city, are losing uh you know, $5 million a week in revenue and expecting to lose between 200 and $300 million this year. So, again, that's what's led to our, that's what's led to our layoffs of 1,800 people. All uh, management uh, has taken a 12% pay cut. Uh, Council and myself have also uh, given ourselves a 10% pay cut. So it's, there's a lot of pain uh, right across uh, the city as an organization. Um, now, uh, I can't talk much about what happened uh, with uh, the discussion about the police budget because both that meeting and, of course, the police board meetings are all held in camera because uh, by, under the Vancouver Charter, uh, those uh, they have to be because they're dealing with uh, either collective bargaining with the unions or uh, with HR issues. So, uh, But I, I agree with the chief. I actually, uh, going into the... Uh, the meeting where this decision was made, I didn't actually know that that would be a part of what was discussed. So I was also uh, blindsided. But Mayor Stewart, how is that possible? You're the mayor. Well, uh, again, I can't talk about what happens in camera, but uh, if you watch uh, council meetings, you'll know there's a variety of ways that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, suggestions for change are put to council. And uh, uh, again, uh, I had no awareness before I went into this meeting that this would be um, part of the discussion. So was that the first time it was discussed, or is this cut a done deal? It's a, it, there was a vote and uh, in the in-camera meeting, and then subsequently the decision, uh, it was uh, also part of the vote, was to release uh, that. Usually that would be held uh, in confidence, but there was a, also a vote to release that uh, the, the information of the cut to the uh, union, the board, and to the chief. So it did, it would, not only was it discussed for the first time, the cut was also passed. That's right. So that means a $3.5 million cut to the Vancouver Police Department? Yep, that's right. I mean, uh, the, uh, that has been, has been what was uh, passed, and so, and now we're just all dealing with that. Like, uh, you know, this makes it difficult on all of us. I, uh, I, uh, you know, very much value the chief's advice. I would consider him a friend and uh, think he's, you know, the top law enforcement officer we have in the whole country. Uh, So when he says this is going to be, uh, you know, this is going to have an impact on policing, I believe him. But yet uh, that's the council's decision. and, And we are you know, all making these very, very tough cuts. I mean, I, uh, you know, I ran into a maintenance worker yesterday at City Hall when I was doing my press conference, and he was, you know, he was saying, you know, he he said he would take a pay cut to keep more people working at City Hall, which I thought was, uh, you know, very admirable of him. And it drives home the fact that these are all real people that are being affected, you know, who have mortgages and have to pay rents. And so, 
you know, my heart goes out to everybody, but we're in a situation where we don't have any federal or provincial assistance and we're losing tons of money at City Hall in terms of revenue. Uh, So that's the situation we're in. But Mayor Stewart, then if that was the first time you'd heard about it at this meeting, then why not say, listen, let's put this off for a week or two. Let's study this. Let's talk to the chief about this. Let's work with the Vancouver Police Department to find the best way moving forward. Why, when you see it for the first time, vote on it and have it happen? You know, I'd love to talk to you about what both discussions, in-camera discussions uh, at the police board meetings and at the council meetings, but by law, I can't. I can't talk to you about any of the debate, and I can't talk to you about uh, how the voting went. That's all in-camera, and then under the charter, if, if a council member or board member talks about in-camera um, matters in public, then you can lose your seat. So uh, that's... And that puts us in this uh, somewhat difficult position, but I'm sure we'll all pull together and get uh, and get through it. I mean, that's, uh, that's what we have to do here in the end. Uh, we've had, again, a lot of cuts to city services, uh, lots of folks being laid off, uh, and we have, uh, again, through uh, unprecedented uh, discussions with uh, the unions, have uh, staved off an additional round of layoffs that we thought we might have to do uh, at least until September. But uh, we're still in a lot of financial difficulty, and uh, without help from the province or the federal government, we're, you know, we have to balance our budgets. You know, municipal governments cannot run deficits, and so if we lose revenue, we have to make cuts right away, and that's, that's unfortunately what we're doing. Are you concerned, though, about the impact this could have to the police department? As you said, they were underfunded, they say, for several years, many years. Uh, now you've got the Surrey Police Department coming online. There's a lot of 41% of Vancouver police officers live in Surrey. Are you concerned about what this could do to the department? Well, I'm concerned about the whole uh, the whole city, uh, as well as the police department. Uh, you know, we've had to we've had cuts in in fire service as well. You know, we did that department has taken a one percent uh, reduction. So, um, you know, this this is what happens when you're in something like uh, like an unprecedented uh, you know situation like this, where you set a budget in December of last year, and then all of a sudden you have a massive drop in your revenue, and you can't run a deficit. Uh, that uh, so what we have to do is cut and i would say that uh, you know some departments have had huge cuts if you look at the libraries for example uh, if you look at uh, you know some of the uh, uh, community centers and the park board and you think about it, some some departments have had massive cuts and so again the decision was made to make a 1% cut to the police department uh, my thought is that uh, once we pull out of this council will continue to uh, invest in policing, uh, and I'm uh, very pleased with the investment in the last two years to date. I mean, so there's been way over a, a 1% increase in the police budget over the last two years. So I'm hoping that we can just all pull together and get through this. Uh, but I, I do agree with the chief. Uh, like like him, I was, I was surprised that this was uh, something we... Uh, voted on and uh, and discussed at uh, this particular council meeting. Are you concerned then about your relationship with the chief and the department moving forward? Because it certainly sounds like they were blindsided. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I had a great conversation with the chief yesterday. Uh, we talk frequently. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the city uh, that involves policing. Uh, the, uh, you know, you think about all the new types of crime, uh, money laundering, uh, you, you think of uh, global terrorism. So, I mean, 
you know, it's the best uh, police service in the world, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, and I know this because I'm on the board meetings, uh, both the public ones and the in-camera ones, and I see how great this police force, uh, the police service is. And uh, But I also see as mayor the uh, the larger economic picture of facing the city, and and it's it's not great. And so I know, and all all cities across Canada are facing the same thing. But is the gap closing? Because you said it's been going on for now more than like, two months now, and you've been trying to close that gap. How much has it been done? Oh yeah, if it may be. I know that uh, Chief is on your uh, on your station a little later today. Mm-hmm. He can give you a, a sense of the numbers. But there have been dozens and dozens of new officers and positions that have been added because of of council's investment. Uh, however, this may. Uh, this may slow that down a little bit, but we're hoping uh, as things get back on track, the level of investment will continue. What about the financial picture for the city of Vancouver? That gap closing? That deficit? No, I mean, uh, we're losing $5 million a week. Uh, you know, I, I had a press conference yesterday where we uh, did an update. We said we're losing this just this year between about two and $300 million uh, a year because of lost revenue and potential property tax uh, defaults. Um, and that's just this year. We don't even know. I mean, you know, uh, we've had 13,000, almost 14,000 businesses close in Vancouver, just the city alone. Like, this is a, a very, very tough economic time, and this is what happens when you have this kind of disruption to your economy is that all organizations feel uh, under strain, and, and municipalities are not... Uh, you know, we're not protected from this, especially says uh, federal and provincial governments could just raise your, uh, raise our income taxes but and run deficits, but we can't. So uh, I know I talk with big city mayors right across Canada. Boy, if you talk to mm-hmm. the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, things are just dire there. And so, um, you know, we... Uh, I have a talk with the with uh, Don Iveson from Edmonton right now. Uh, in some municipalities across Canada, they're already uh, laying off core uh, mm-hmm. processors of uh, of uh, permits and you know core staff that you would that you need to restart the economy. They're selling off land to pay, and they're they're uh, they're they're in really really bad difficulty. And right. again, without federal or provincial help, we're going to see more cuts. Mayor Stewart, thank you for your time on this today. Okay, thank you. So we were just talking with the mayor of Vancouver, Kennedy Stewart. Now, I'll tell you what disturbs me about this, you know, city of Vancouver and police cuts story. It's that from what we just heard, that the mayor of the city can go into a meeting and not know that they're about to talk about cutting the police department's budget, and then it gets voted on right then and there. That makes no sense to me. They can study things until the cows come home, and they always do. But for something as significant as cutting the police force's budget by $3.5 million, that's something that has to be voted on the first time the mayor in particular sees this in a meeting? No, there's something wrong with that there. And we heard what the mayor had to say. We're going to hear the police chief later on this morning. He'll be, Adam Palmer will be on with uh, Mike Smith. So make sure you stay tuned for that. You want to weigh in with your thoughts? I know you do. Many people have. I've been getting a ton of emails on this. Simi at cknw.com.